The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Could I get you some tea, Lieutenant? Oh, no, thank you, ma'am. Are you familiar with my broadcasts? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, the things that you say on the radio, ma'am, they're very frank. About what? About sex, ma'am. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 2nd, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Playboy founder and icon Hugh Hefner passed away recently on September 27th of this year at age 91. I was planning to do our own take on the significance of his passing, and I got a most unexpected call from someone else who had something to say about the Playboy phenomenon and its influence on American culture, and that was none other than our very regular in-house guest, Western University's Associate Professor of Political Science, Salim Mansour. Salim, welcome back. Thank you, sir. I'm sure this conversation will take us in directions we've really never embarked upon before. And so, before we get right into it, let's first remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of Just Right's past broadcasts. Well, Salim, I was very surprised to hear from you on this issue, and particularly being a Muslim, I have to bring that up right away. We don't hear Muslims talking about sex or Playboy or anything like that too much. Like you're not a regular reader of Playboy magazine or anything. (laughs) Just the articles, right, Salim? (laughs) (laughs) I I find it uh, both odd and surprising that you are surprised. I mean, this is, you know, all around us. The world is ultimately a world of, you know, what? Men and women, of yeah. sex, of relationship, of the dynamics between the two sexes. And it is all part of our human biology, human psychology, human relationship, you know, religion. Uh, story myths goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. So I'm surprised that you questioned me about this. I would reverse it and say then possibly it is surprising that you ask about Muslim or whether it's Muslim or well, Hindu. Well, we don't hear too many Muslims talking yeah, about but, but this Yeah, but the opportunity or who, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people are at least in the last 17, 18, 20 years, any conversation with a Muslim in a North American scene has been political, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, where do we sit and talk about poetry? Where do we sit and talk about art? I mean, the Islamic civilization was very rich in poetry, very rich in art, very rich in human relationship, which is men and women. But our focus has been, and and that is the reductionism, you know, you reduce things to simply as if, you know, this abstraction called Muslim is preoccupied with politics, with power, with question about religion in terms of fundamentalist value, but but that itself is a myth. And and the reverse is also, you know, can be turned around. I mean the whole issue of sex is a profound dilemma in the Christian civilization, you know, because no because of 
of the attitude or the context in which the founder of Christianity, that is Jesus himself, is looked upon, you know. And I mean, the whole notion of Christian theology is born with the idea of original sin, and it destroys much of what we need to talk about, and that is the repressed problem, the neurosis. Okay, mm-hmm. so I mean that's that's my answer, and and I'm I'm glad that you ask, and I'm glad that we are, have sat down together to talk about this. I mean, well, I'm sure it would be among the first to... questions on on the minds of a lot of our listeners. And the first time I heard you mention this was when you sent around an essay by Camille Paglia about a month or so ago, yeah. in which she was discussing. Hugh Hefner's passing and his significance in yes. the American cultural yes. um, mosaic. And you seem to agree with a lot of the things that she had to say. And you were yes. placing him in a context that certainly today's feminists are not putting Hefner in. Is this a left and right wing issue? Yes. As you pointed out, it's a month ago that Hugh Hefner passed away. And in so many different ways, Hugh Hefner came to be a dominant cultural factor in the lives of people in North America and in the world. I mean, I didn't see a Hugh Hefner magazine till I came to North America. What I saw a Playboy when I was an, a teenager way back in India or, uh, or in East Pakistan now in Bangladesh growing up, a child and a teenager, it was just a passing shot, maybe some uh, a sailor stopping over in, yeah. in the port city left behind and it went down, you know, the dirty thing and nobody actually sat down and read it. People just oogled over the Playboy Center, you know, and mm-hmm. that too, as teenage boys, you know, it was hide, hide, and, you know, you're not sure. to get caught with this sort of thing. In any society, I think, back in the uh, 50s, 60s. Yeah. Hey, when Playboy was, was, was released in North America, it was banned in Canada, that, that, and you that, couldn't uh, get it in Canada. That's correct. So we, we are going back to it, and that was, again, the allure, the attraction of it, you know. It is something that is... A secret. So when I came to North America, that's my first interaction, you know. I mean, I actually saw a Playboy on a shelf in a bookstore or or, or a grocery store, wherever, you know. In, on the in, top in, shelf. In, <laughs> that's right. Out of the reach of children. Yeah. yeah, and it was all around us, right? I mean, and yet it is the denial of it and so on and so So what it is, I mean, this is the paradox about the human relationship, about sex, and, and Hugh Hefner is at the center of this in some ways. What I find interesting yeah. about Playboy magazine itself that since the 50s till today, with a few bumps along the way, it has really not changed in terms of its sexual attitude and demeanor. You know, we've already done a show of Just Right on the Playboy philosophy, and we discover that the philosophy is very little to do with sex. Maybe one chapter of it does. The rest is about um, lifestyle, politics. He was a big um, supporter of capitalism. And uh, you mentioned that on your recent trip and return from Jerusalem, was it? Yes. That you actually read the Ayn Rand interview in Playboy (laughs) magazine and you enjoyed it. That's right. I mean, there's so much, so many dimensions about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, with the passing of Hugh Hefner, a number of things came up, and the one that you mentioned, Camille Paglia, 
thoughts on Hugh Hefner's passing, which I sent out, just to break the monotony of politics. I mean, life is far bigger. In fact, politics is just a small part of life, and that's why I sent it out. But I, Sex I is enjoy, politics to yeah, a degree. Well, it is politics, <laughs> yeah. but it's a politics in the other sense. It is right. politics about life. It's about who we are, mm-hmm. how we engage with each other, and so on. And I really, truly enjoy Camille Paglia, you know, her insights into it. She is frank, and she tears apart the ideological aspect of feminism that has taken over, you know, where men are brute, men are dangerous animals, men have to be put away. And I think that's what is happening, you know. The swing of the pendulum has gone from one direction to the other direction. And and what, what I hope we can talk about is putting not only Hugh Hefner, but what he did Uh, breaking the taboo, bringing out something into the public in the early 1950s and put it in context. And then we can assess it. Hefner passed away a month ago and within weeks of Hefner passing, the story of Harvey Weinstein broke, you know, Mm -hmm. and now it is about uh, the predators and, of course, Hugh Hefner is being called the first of the predators and being condemned. And and so this whole idea or the issue about sex has been reduced to basically uh, rape, pornography, and so on and so forth. But I think that was not what was entirely about Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner was, as you just pointed out, Mm -hmm. Bob, and, and my own sense of it was that he celebrated sex, that is women and women's body, which has been celebrated for eons, for ages. I mean, Renaissance art. What are we going to talk about that, you know? What are we Greek going to talk? art, yes. You know, 2,500 years ago, Greek art, The example. Greek arts, you know, the, the, the celebration of human body that was hidden away. I mean, I come from India, so, you know, there it is. I mean, you know, this is a... Five the Kama Sutra. So you, you take the word out of Kama Sutra and, and all the the paintings and arts and statues, the Elora caves and so on and so forth. Well, I think in, in Hinduism, the, the notion was, now you can correct me on this, uh, being Indian yourself, uh, that the idea of the Kama Sutra and in Hinduism was that, yes, you want to shed this worldly existence, however, you still have to procreate and so you have this Kama Sutra out there to say that you have to do this. You can't be like a Siddhartha sitting against the, a tree because you will die. And therefore, all life will end. You have to have sex. You have to have procreation. No, but again, see, uh, I would say, uh, interesting, Robert, the way you have framed it. I would say, if I might use this simply as a term of definition, not polemic, you have framed it in the sense of a Westerner. Uh, Let's sex. talk about that, Salim, because yeah. I'm, I'm not a world traveler. You're a world traveler. And when I think of Hugh Hefner and Playboy, I think this is a very unique American situation because if you look at the television, the art, the politics of most all of the rest of the world, sex is not treated in the Puritan fashion that it had been in the United States. Take, for example, South American television. Sex is all over there. Take, for example, a porn star getting elected in Italy. Take for the French example. Uh, that's a society of pure romance and, and womanizing. At least that is the way it is depicted. It's only when you get to Victorian England, the United States, with a very puritanical attitude towards sex, at least up until Hugh Hefner. Is that phenomenon of Hugh Hefner strictly uh, an American phenomenon? Well, yes. I mean, in more ways than uh, one can talk about this in our limited time, you have hit a key point that 
Hefner is American and he was breaking American taboos. But coming back to Kama Sutra, your observation was, again, in, in some ways a Western framework. Or it's, a hard to, it's hard for me to leave yeah. behind my Western roots. Where, whereas Kama Sutra or, or sex, women, men, relationship, sexual practices, sexual art is not about contradiction and antinomies, uh, opposites, that, that sex is about procreation. No, sex is about pleasure. Sex is about expressing oneself. Sex is poetry. Sex is music. Sex is what gods do, for heaven's sake. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Kama Sutra, you can you know right off the bat it's not simply about procreation. No, it is about, it is nature. It is nature. And it is how, it's like food, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, the whole art of cuisine the richness of cuisine or music. So sex is part of nature. It is a gift of nature. And Kama Sutra, by the way, is the very word. Kama is about body, about love, about attraction. Sutra means the rules. So how do you engage with each other? to the fullest enjoyment. So there are rules in it, you know, whether you're playing a game of chess, whether you're writing an article, whether music, you know. Music itself is noise, but noise in a rhythm and a framework that makes music as opposed to noise, right? So Kama Sutra is about the art of relationship where it is sex, which is the opposite that is in the sense of man-women relationship. The gods do it, as I said. I mean, the Roman gods, Zeus, I mean, the whole story, you know, about attraction, jealousy, love, and on and on. Same thing with the Indian gods, you know. I think here I'll leave hanging uh, the thought, the idea that it is the god of Abraham, which then is non-sexual or asexual or sex is a problem and that becomes far more reinforced in Christianity with the concept of original sin, Jesus, you know, celibacy, on and on and on. So sex is, it should be only about procreation. Anything else? Thou shall not commit adultery. So sex is within the framework of a marriage, of a relationship. It is about procreation. Well, again, let's go back to the fact that a major problem, if I can, if I can say that, with sex is that the act of it can have uh, the consequence of, of bearing a child. And so as a consequence of that, society put in all these rules, these norms to prevent people from just basically uh, having uh, children to the point where you cannot support them. Right, so you had women dressed, you know, modestly. You had uh, um, these societal taboos about uh, sex and uh, promiscuity. Yes, I mean, all and, of but that, now we have the pill, so everything has changed. Yeah, I mean, again, there is the West, there is the Occident, and there is the Orient, and and it is true that that every society has rules, regulation, taboo. You know, if they are not there, then it would be anarchy. And the weak would be exploited by the strong. And, of course, the sexual relationship of weak, strong men and women is very much there. I went to the local bank and then to the local loan company and managed to borrow from the two of them uh, $600. I then went to friends and relatives, everybody I could think of, and got them to invest a total of $8,000, from which I was able to put together the first issue. I was looking for some kind of gimmick 
So I learned that the already famous nude of Marilyn Monroe, which everybody had heard about but nobody had seen, and nobody had seen it because the post office took the position that nudity was obscenity, and therefore you couldn't send it through the mail. I discovered that a local calendar company, the John Baumgraff Company, right out on the west side of Chicago, owned the picture. So I drove out there in my beat-up Chevy and talked John Baumgart into letting me publish that photograph. To begin with, I was not gonna call the magazine Playboy. I was gonna call it Stag Party, and at the very last minute, I received a letter from a, from a, a cease and desist letter from a lawyer from Stag Magazine saying they thought that Stag Party was a uh, infringement on their trademark. This letter may be a blessing in disguise, since it forces us to look for a different, better title. How about gentleman? Mm. Too close to gentry. What about sir? Good, but it's already being used. Seder? Yeah, Seder. How's that for a title? Good. I think satire comes from the same root. How about Pan? I think he was a Seder. Trouble is, we'd have to explain it. The word isn't common enough. How about Playboy? There's a sport car called the Playboy. Playboy? Hmm. Playboy, I like that. I think this is it. If it clears for copyright, this is it. Playboy. So at the very last minute, I changed the stag to a rabbit. I remember we were sitting, I think it was Chicago and uh, Michigan, in a restaurant there where there was a newsstand. And we were watching uh, the uh, people come up to it, look at it, and uh, buy it. And Hef said, see, it's exactly what I told you they would do. Everybody wanted to see what, have you seen that picture? So, like any other red-blooded American male, yeah, sure. And then I wanted subsequent issues because I was drawn into the seduction of it. In the first few issues, the Playmate of the Month was simply a calendar picture that we purchased from a local calendar company. Once we started shooting our own Playmate of the Month, what I looked for was something not simply shot in the studio in an impersonal way, and tried to find young women across the country who were not necessarily even in modeling. I wanted to make the statement that beauty was everywhere. So the very notion of the Playmate of the Month was that she was the girl next door. In those photos, I tried to introduce the suggestion of the presence of a man. Something to suggest that what we were really looking at was a sexual situation of some kind. Because what I was trying to say, quite frankly, was that sex was a natural part of life and that nice girls like sex too. Now, in the middle 1950s, that was a revolutionary idea. Now I have an article in front of me here from the Associated Press by Jocelyn Novak. Hugh Hefner, liberator or oppressor? Which would you say, Salim, or neither? Hugh Hefner was a man of his time. 
a, a person of his time. I mean, you know, again, as 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 Robert says, this is an American phenomenon, and you have is very much an American. But uh, let's put him together. I mean, he died. He was ninety one, born in nineteen twenty six, uh, came of age during Second World War. Uh, let's imagine. Let's go back in time to that period in history. Uh, America was was a very uh, prudent society, but there was a wild twenties. You know, jazz music and so on coming together. The swinging twenties that they talked about it, but then came the war. At a deeper level, outside of the cities, America was very puritanical in more ways than we can want to remember because uh, things have moved on in the other direction so much. Let me give a couple of points. I mean, Bertrand Russell was, in a sense, banned in America. His book, Marriage and Morals, came out in 1929, and he talked about in that book that with the development of contraception, sex was now separate from conception. And the opinion of the American judiciary was that Russell was such an unethical man that he should not be given any appointment because he was being appointed for a position at the City University in New York in the 1930s, and the appointment was canceled. You see, you have had a situation in which people like Henry Miller, uh, the great Mm -hmm. author that we can now think about, had to go out and live in Paris from where he did much of his writing. And his most famous book, uh, or among his more more famous book, was Tropic of Cancer. And Tropic of Cancer was banned in the United States. And I mean, the book was, uh, was censored and banned. A whole lot of books were being banned, or writing was being banned. Remember, Lady Chatterley's Lover, D.H. Lawrence's book was banned in not only the United States, but in Britain. You know, it had to go through a huge case. And so it is in that context that when the first issue of Playboy came out in 1953, he was a liberator in that sense. He was breaking taboos. He was opening up the door. And what he was doing was he was bringing into in picture what was always in the imagination of people, particularly men. Now, you might think that he's a liberator of men's libidos, but he was, uh, for me, I think he's probably the liberator of women, more so than men. Uh, I would say yes. I would say yes. I mean, there, there is no uh, relationship without the other side. I mean, there are two. I mean, we, we have now, again, the pendulum has swung so much that we cannot think about or we are not allowed to think about sex other than that, you know, uh, it becomes sexual harassment, unwanted sex, and so on and so forth. But a healthy sex, a normal sex, a sex, sexual, is part of, as I said, human history. I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I think about the great piece of work from 14th century, uh, Giovanni Boccaccio's book, The Decameron, you all must have heard about it, you know, is a tales, body tales, erotic tales from the 14th century, making fun of the priestly class, you know, about sex, sex plays, a hundred stories. It, it is one of the great classics about it. You know, Chaucer's Tales of Canterbury is full of body and erotic ideas. Homer, you go back to, or you go back to Shakespeare, you you see that, you know, sex is at the center of comedy and tragedy. But do you think that the sexual revolution would have happened in the United States, whether or not Hugh Hefner was there to ride the crest of the wave? 
sexual revolution was happening. I mean, uh, there were both the, the negative side or the, or the dark side and the positive side in the sense writers were exploring boundaries beyond what was accepted at that time. Uh, and so they were breaking taboos. I just mentioned Henry Miller or D.H. Lawrence. But people were prosecuted for these things. Oscar Wilde went to jail for, mm-hmm. for his, coming out with his homosexual poetry or writings and so on. In 1946, the famous book by Simone de Beauvoir came out, Second Sex. And, and her book was about the oppression of women and, and so the liberation. Yes, the liberation of women in the political arena was slowly taking shape in the 20th century. It began with the uh, suffragette movement, uh, the equality movement, and the winning of the votes and so on and so forth. But at the realm of sex, to make it open and discussing, I think that was a movement with the development of cinema with the development of now the television came on radio and then print i think that was go- about to happen or was going to happen but hugh hefner was the first it was uh, at the exact same time in the same year that playboy came out ian fleming wrote dr no mm-hmm. 1953 and of course in there there's a lot of nudity of the uh, character later played by ursula andrus coming out of the water. In the book, she's naked. Of course, in the movie, she had this bikini on. But that's 1960, and the book is 1953. So there's already this talk and uh, of talking about it, of of, um, making it part of the normal um, experience of being a a human being. And not only that, if you think about Ian Fleming's um, 007 character, here's this suave, worldly, sophisticated man who you know, basically has sex with every other <laughs> woman in in the stories. And at the exact same time, you have Hugh Hefner. What is he? Suave, sophisticated, worldly, talking about sex, you know, having the sex parties and all that. I think that uh, Hugh Hefner was riding a wave that was already there. And, and again, uh, something that we began with, with your observation about Hugh Hefner as typically American and the question of American puritanism. I, I understand that Hugh Hefner came from a very puritanical family in the sense mm-hmm. of, 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 yes. of pilgrim fathers. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, 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 his ancestors you know, were very much part of that tradition. But here is the in- interesting thing. Second World War, Americans go to, to war. They come back from war, but they've gone to war where? In Europe. And the interface now, I mean, the great ocean that separated Europe from particularly France and Italy, that is the more Mediterranean culture, more, you know, non-Puritanical culture from America, the ocean, that had now shrunk. Americans were going, the music was going from America to Europe. The art and taste was coming from Europe to America. Sophistication meant to be a European man. You know, I remember mm-hmm. as a teenager and even younger, you know, characters like uh, Marcello Mastrioni, you know, the Italian actor, or the French actor Yves Montand, you know. These were the actors that you looked up to, you know, Laurence Olivier and, and so on. Of course, there were great American actors at that time, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, Humphrey Bogart, Clark Gable, and so on. But a sophistication, in many sense, meant the art of seduction, that is conversation, fine wine, fine music. Mm-hmm. Sex was not simply gang, bang, thank you, ma'am, and run away, you know, <laughs> uh, in, 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 in the dark corners of the street 
and then the villages and the society, yeah. you know, and then and you, and you don't talked about it, and you did, or you did, you know, had had slang words for it. Sophistication meant no men and women engaged with each other, played with each other in the sense of the verbal game and the flirtation. And I think Hugh Hefner caught that in Playboy. Playboy was not simply the centerfold. Playboy was not simply that you picked up whoever picked up and saw beautiful women in in the sense of all the glory that Botticelli painted in mm-hmm. in, 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 in art sense or Raphael painted and, or Michelangelo and others painted. But now it was the camera doing it, you know, it was becoming more alive. And you not only saw these beautiful women and there is always that lust side of it, but there's the art side of it. But you also picked up Playboy and you read in Playboy things that others were not writing and others were not exploring. I mean, he brought out interviews and short stories and essays uh, by people like Hemingway or Philip Roth or Erica Young. And, and I used to always uh, call Playboy the ideal liberal magazine in so many ways because it expressed the true, I guess, the classic liberal attitude. Yeah, I think that's where it is. You you just mentioned it, Bob, mm-hmm. classically. Yes. And, and that's why I found Ayn Rand's interview so fascinating that the Playboy would do it. And, mm-hmm. and, and that was what, 1964? Right. 53 years ago, the man who interviewed Ayn Rand was Alvin Toffler, who would go on yes. to write such bestsellers as Future Shock. But what struck me so on Ayn Rand's interview was how she expressed what you just now said, classical liberal. That is, there is no freedom unless it is about individual freedom. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to read Playboy. I mean, if you were puritanical or if you thought this was sin, you didn't have to pick it up. You didn't have to go there. But there was a choice. You could go there. You could go up beyond the lines and tr- do the transgression in the terms of visual and also in terms of reading and thinking, you know. So Playboy was bringing these people right into your home that you could read a- that were banned. Yeah, and hopefully you wouldn't get arrested when you read a copy of Playboy magazine. <laughs> also think about, um, at the same time, uh, Elvis Presley was coming up mm-hmm. in the world. And he was getting the same sort of pushback that uh, Hefner had with his gyrations <laughs> yes. on stage. And when he was on the Ed Sullivan show, for example, they had to film him from uh, the waist up so as not to um, titillate the audience. That's right. You know, so this was a very pivotal time to get rid of, uh, for the United States to catch up to the rest of the world. Yeah, and shed his puritanical values in those sense. Well, the dark side or the downside is, yes, I mean, he was challenging what was the established norm of that time, you know, what is considered normal. Very brave of him. Absolutely, I think so, yeah. Hugh Hefner was a very clever fellow, and I think also a very dangerous fellow. And he had a concept early on that... The girl next door really is a wild thing. And in our pages, she'll take off her clothes for you. If I would have gone into that Playboy office in 1993, groomed, I'm going to call it, groomed as a model, groomed as a stripper, groomed as anything other than the little girl working at the Polish grocery store, I wouldn't have been picked. 
It certainly escalated the idea that there was one perfect body that you had to emulate. And that was very difficult. Not all of us have those perfect bodies. Magazines like Playboy, and it wasn't just Playboy, also began increasingly to create images that really treated women's bodies as commodities. It was really not until uh, uh, Playboy came along after World War II and in the 50s that everything started to shift and people started to look outside the old way of doing things and look to a new way of doing things. A young man named Hugh Hefner was trying to start a magazine and he had no material and no money. And he approached me and I had this novel, which nobody wanted. Huh? <laughs> and I sold it to him for $400. Oh. And it, it, it appeared in the second, third, and fourth issues of Playboy. And of course, the magazine has changed the world. It's done more for 14-year-old boys than... Fahrenheit 451 is a story of book burning in the future. If ever there was a writer and a magazine that were made for one another, it was Ray Bradbury and Playboy and that particular story. Charles Beaumont was a young writer in California, the first important new writer to appear in the pages of Playboy. He wrote a very controversial story called The Crooked Man uh, about a future society in which homosexuality was the way of things and heterosexuality was considered the perversion. And that was a story that was turned down by Esquire as being too controversial. And uh, we published it with a uh, powerful illustration by Leroy Neiman. And it was misunderstood in some quarters. Some people felt that it was homophobic. From our point of view, the message of the story was that if it is inappropriate to persecute a heterosexual in a homosexual society, then it is equally inappropriate to persecute a homosexual in our society. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who have made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Check out the Contribute button at www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived for your listening enjoyment and convenience. Salim, I was interested in your comments on Puritanism. And, you know, you talk about sex being natural. Was Puritanism unnatural in a way? Or was it just part of a culture that was still a natural thing, but a different way of looking at sex? Like, this is such a divide, and, and the intolerance of that puritanical attitude towards people who didn't share it. Well, puritanical or puritan is part of the Christian culture, or an aspect of the Christian culture, isn't it? You know, more more the, the Protestant more aspect, yeah, not Protestant, necessarily Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm, Puritanism is one window, you know, and and that window or that way of framing the issues uh, reached its height in United States because of the uh, Pilgrim Fathers of what it all brought together. So yes, I I think so. That it was unnatural. 
in in that sense it was unnatural in terms of relationship to the people uh, other civilizations i mean if you put puritanical values alongside say the roman value that predates christianity if you did alongside indian value you know that we talked about kama sutra and so on and so forth uh, if you put it alongside perhaps the chinese civilization then yes it is unnatural because you know sex was not seen as something to be denied sex mm. was simply part of our life and there were rules there were regulation there were taboos but it was not something that was caught uncaught sinful that you burn in hell because of sex yeah that was a that was kind of an unnatural view yeah. of it, to, to say the least you talked about uh, kama sutra being the rules for sex would you say playboy offered a set of rules for sex for for North Americans in, in a way that they had never had available to them up until that time I think that's a very interesting way of framing it rules I mean the, I, you know I what I'm saying, saying yeah, the yeah, whole I, I, I thing think, uh, what think, sort of man reads right. playboy what kind of character should you be yeah. what kind of interplay should there be yeah i i i see the point you're making and i think so you are, you're making a very valid observation because playboy was in that sense educating the young men in america uh, or the young women including the young women who picked up playboy but particularly the young men in america that the world of human relationship man woman relationship we don't talk about gender you know this mm-hmm. has become the fascination and and there can be 50 different types of gender but that is not natural natural is basically sex that is male and female that's biological you know there are only two basic relationship or two physiological characteristic man and women and playboy was educating the young men in america in the 1950s 60s thereafter that this world is a world that is to be explored that is to be enjoyed it is as much mental as well as 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 it is physical the physical side of it is the celebration well there's of, always that of, of there's the always that saying body. what's the largest sexual organ it's your brain yes, right exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. And that's why i refer to say the decameron right which is from 14th century pornography is in the mind it is not in the eye and so the thing that elicit this excitement this electricity about male female relationship the sexuality is in the mind and literature is full of it you're bringing up a a notion that i had read about once that if you go back in time perhaps in, in the 19th century it was considered sexually attractive for women to be plump um, or or even men to be uh, you, you know overweight by our today's standards because it indicated a certain ability to be successful what is considered sexually attractive 100 years ago or 200 years ago um it's certainly i think different than what is sexually attractive today and you see some of the models out there and they are absolutely anorexic i don't know the older i get i think that it's like that's not sexually attractive to me this anorexia what is beauty is not only a cliche that is in the eye of the beholder it is also uh what is beauty is something that is defined by whoever is powerful powerful in the sense of whoever have the assets to be able to impose his or her definition mm-hmm. of what is 
beauty and and the norm. Well, so Hefner imposed his imposed, uh, I should say, freely. Absolutely, he did his, his idea of beauty. He, he did. I mean, uh, the Hef, Hefner centerfold and Hefner women were all nymphs and nymphettes of a certain age. The first issue of Playboy carried. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, yeah. And the great stars, movie stars, actresses, many appeared in Playboy magazine, not necessarily in the centerfold, which, as you say, was that exclusive spot. But they appeared there, obviously recognizing it as an asset for them in their career. Up until the 60s, and I even remember this with respect to Star Trek, when the the dresses got short, Mm -hmm. and it was considered a sign of liberation by women to be able to to wear less and less. Today, the trend (laughs) seems to be going the other way. Interesting comment by Camille Paglia here. You were talking about pornography being in the mind of the beholder, and she points out that she's always taken the position that men's magazines, I'm quoting here, from the glossiest and most sophisticated to the rawest and raunchiest, represent the brute reality of sexuality. Pornography is not a distortion. It is not a sexist twisting of facts of life, but a kind of peephole <laughs> into reality. But that's an interesting observation. Would you agree with that? Or? Yes, it is. We're living in the post-Freudian age. I, Freud pointed out, ultimately, everything boils down to sex. The whole but sometimes life, a cigar is still history, a cigar. <laughs> it is ultimately about the primordial, the basic. There is nothing more basic than that, which is the relationship between a male and a female. You know, out of it comes great art, great music, great painting, and out of it comes the dirtiest violence, misogyny, abuse, excesses. You know, and and that is life. I mean, take the take the uh, writings of Tolstoy, possibly the greatest novelist of all time. Some some people will say, you know, or, uh, 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 in this conversation, I am reminded Anna Karenina, and he begins that great novel of of the story of this woman and 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 her family and what happened by the observation that all happy families are basically uh, normal or same, and all unhappy families are unique because each one of them have their own story. So what is normal? Again, you're going back to the beauty, you know. Somebody puts up the taste, and so there it is, you know, the nymphet, in the case of Playboy, the nymphet or the nymph, you know, and, and so that sort of beauty, and all the others are excluded. And today, I will look at it. We have the Kardashians and others going around, and, and nobody would say they are nymphs. They are with the huge buttocks, you know, oh, yeah. and, 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 and that. And, and, and that the donkadonks. Yeah, and, and that, that is, that is Not a, a phenomenon I've been following, I'm afraid. Right. <laughs> but again, I mean, in terms of discussing this, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, beauty in the eyes of the beholder, beauty in terms of culture, the oh, Af- right. African women, I mean, it is not about bosom and breasts. I mean, that's the preoccupation of the playboy culture, you know. It is about the breast, about the bosom, and, and, and so on. Whereas in Africa or in the Middle East, it is the woman 
ampleness or amplitude in the woman's behind, which, which according to that culture represents the capacity of the woman to bear many children or to have easy birth, whereas the nymphoth is just the opposite. Of it. Well, that's interesting because we're seeing two different values being expressed there, one more on the procreation side of sex and one on the pleasure side of sex. But here is an interesting point. I mean, uh, you began by the observation with the AP thing you have no liberator or oppressor. Well, my point, and I think all of our three of us are in, in that sense agreeable, he was pushing the, the boundaries. And where the courts had found that Bertrand Russell, for instance, was publicly uh, a moral hazard and should not be allowed to teach in America, and his book was banned. Within a matter of a quarter century, that was in the 1930s or 1940s. And now we come to the 1950s and 1960s. Hefner's Playboy is testing the American system, the American government. Remember, the case went with the U.S. postal system. Yes. And he wins the case. And, and, and that's the opening up of where the courts are going to stand, where the First Amendment right comes in, all the way to the famous Larry Flint case, you know, Flint versus the people and the court decision that he has the right to publish. You have the right to tune it off, but you cannot stop him. You this know? is bringing up an interesting uh, direction because now you have places like the, the government, the Toronto District School Board, giving instruction on safe fisting to children. So you've gone, as you say, the pendulum has swung, where now we have society rebelling against the government, saying, you can't do this. Where before it was the government saying to society and, and, and people like Hefner and Guccione and Flint, you can't do this, it's reversed. Well, I, I would say, I mean, I mean, again, this is a huge and broad subject, but quickly I would point out, I mean, and you, uh, what, pick up on what you said about a society always have rules, regulation, taboos, you know. One of the uh, taboos of society, and I think most societies, was that you do not exploit children. The question then hangs, what is, what is the age of a child? What, when does a child no longer a child? And so, you know, that line, you know, that, that does begin at... 13, 14, 15, 18, 21, what have you. So that's, that's open to debate. But the concept, children, uh, and so pedophilia and so on and so forth. Well, in ancient Rome or ancient Greece, there was pedophilia. But we have come to recognize that pedophilia is unacceptable, that there has to be a line drawn. Interesting, with Hugh Hefner and those who followed him, it was not pedophilia the issue. But pedophilia was always the dark side, isn't it? But at the same time, we have the other problem, the flip side of the coin, that the government, the school boards, they have been pushing sex education down to minors. Primary school, six, seven, eight, you know. And so I think there is a lot of debate about that. Parents say, you know, this is our responsibility, not our responsibility. Sure, the kids kid. haven't reached the age of consent yet, and that's that's the dividing line, isn't it? Let's let's yeah. go uh, take yeah. a break, and when we come back, we can talk about boundaries. Tell me, Jack, what do you think about this uh, new idea of sex education in the schools? 
Well, yes. Actually, actually, there's nothing new about it. Oh, you really? see, we had the same thing when I went to school. Only we called it recess. <laughs> Last night I was in my basement just rummaging around in some old trunks. Didn't you and... feel a little ridiculous dressed like that? Oh, come on. <laughs> Suppose and... if somebody had dropped in unexpectedly. You're being silly. Oh, I'm silly. You're the one in the baggy shorts. I was looking through some mementos of my youth, examining my memorabilia, and I found an old high school yearbook. I didn't even know you went to an old high school. Sure brought back a lot of memories. Hey, how'd you do in school? Fantastic. I mean, what kind of grades did you get? Grades? We got grades? Dick, don't you remember how well you did in class? No, but there's a few recesses I'll never forget. <laughs> That's what I was telling you about. You see, I think it's time for a quickie. Why, is it recess already? I think so, the bell just rang. Salim, you mentioned that today with the technology, pretty much anything that you want to um, excite you is available on the internet, on your um, cell phone, readily available to anybody. At any age, all you have to do is click on a button and say, yes, I'm older than 18, and there you go. So how does that affect the laws of the land when we have school boards teaching subject matters that in my day and age would never have been uh, broached and the teachers would have been imprisoned for doing what they're doing today to play devil's advocate. Maybe we need school boards and sex education to tackle pretty delicate issues in, in pretty explicit ways. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, it is a very difficult question. I mean, the boundaries are always shifting and being pushed further and further and further. And, and technology is part of the uh, instrument by which boundaries have have shifted. We began talking with Hefner and, and, and Playboy. Well, uh, modern printing, modern photography brought all of those things possible. And from there, we had now come to iPhone. And so, you know, in, in several generations or 60 years, things have completely changed. We're not going to be able to take away iPhones from our kids. Our kids demand it. We, give, we also want them to have the access to communication, you know, as a father, as a parent, mom, my children, my daughter has uh, her iPhone so that I can communicate with her at any time. But then how do we set up what, what you're talking about, boundaries? I come back to the question is that the most normal or the natural would be left to individuals and families without the government intervening. But then that raises the whole question which again goes back to Tolstoy on a Karenina, between normal families and all normal families re resemble each other. That means there is an agreement, there is a stability, there is a relationship where they understand what the boundaries are, how it is framed. And then every unhappy family is a different situation. You know, It is unique. There are different sets of problems. So we have a society where people on the question of freedom of choice, freedom of their own responsibility, are willing to push the boundaries. And uh, the question then becomes, should the government step in? Should the government lay down the rules? Part of my response would be, the government is us, we, the people. 
And so, you know, it is the people have to, uh, in that sense, be engaged in the discussion uh, brought forward. So what's happening in our school boards here in Canada is a lot of discussion, especially in the last decade with the liberal government in Queen's Park has been about sex education. A lot of people are very upset about it, but the society in general is not in rebellion, and so government is pushing a certain agenda that we can see. We have, for instance, elected the first premier in this province and in this country who is openly declared homosexual or lesbian, isn't it? That is... uh, Kathleen, when again the boundary has been shifted and a whole new territory has been opened up. Again, that has nothing to do with Hefner, but that's how society is evolving. And so the premier, she was in previous government, minister of education, now she's the premier. It was her deputy minister who has now gone to jail. Yes, for for pedophilia, and he wrote the curriculum on sex ed. Exactly, and so the public... Oh, I shouldn't say pedophilia, I think it was pornographic images of children. It was child pornography. Yeah, child pornography, different than pedophilia, I guess, as an act. Child pornography. But we, and and here we are, you and I, we are talking uh, on air about this. It is we who have to bring this discussion to the public. We have to be willing to bring this discussion so that the public gets engaged and be able to come forward instead of being prude or puritanical, saying this is the world that we live in. Sex is part of our life, but then sex cannot be simply, you know, something without boundaries. We we have to decide where the boundaries are. I, th- I see two trends going on here. Robert has pointed to one where it's this openness of everything where sex is just this hedonistic thing. On the other hand, I don't know if you're aware of what happened to Playboy magazine in the past year or two. They dropped the centerfold. Since they did that, they have, I understand, replaced the the centerfold. And so here we see, again with Playboy, almost trying to move back in in the opposite direction from where we are now. What it goes back to is the human condition. That is, we are very paradoxical in in terms of the world we live in and the world that we make. And you began by observing that here I am, a Muslim, sitting and talking about Hugh Hefner, and I then pointed out to you that what is seen as odd is actually not odd. The world is in it, and Muslim is no longer, is as much a part of the world as is Christian and Buddhist and so on and so forth. So here it comes to the question of boundaries, the question of what you're saying, the recent experiment by a Playboy of dropping a centerfold and then again going back to it. In 1953, having a centerfold, the first one being Marilyn Monroe and then going out, was raising the curtain on what was prohibited, that is to see a nude woman. Mm-hmm. You could see a nude statue, but that was okay. You know, that was from the antiquity. But to see a nude woman that's almost in, alive in the sense of, you know, the closeness, the intimacy, that was forbidden, and he raised the curtain. The paradox of that was that when by raising the curtain on the human body, in this case, a woman, the mystery is gone. Because we also made the observation, Camille Paglia makes it, I made it, you know, writers all along have made it, that the true joy of sex, in that sense, is the mystery and the mind, where the mind opens up and imagines 
also. And that's the art, that's the poetry, that's the music. And so in Eastern art, for instance, in the Islamic culture, the sex is imagined. It is mysterious. The woman whale is the mystery to be unveiled. And so when a playboy centerfold is completely open, there's no more mystery, and the imagination is gone. Well, I can understand the, the veiling of a woman. As a matter of fact, um, if you look at some of the, um, the pictures of veiled women in the Middle East, I mean, it, it is quite attractive, as you say. However, certainly I, I would not force a woman to no, act in such no. a matter. And then yeah. they've gone overboard and put them in burqas. Yeah. So that no skin may show, not even the hand. Isn't that rather taking it to an extreme? Exactly, but this is where our conversation, our writing, that dialogue comes in. A whale woman is not a burqa. I'm talking about the way that a mm-hmm. woman artistically or alluringly yes. dresses. Yes. You know, there is so much mystery, but that's the flirtation. That's the poetry. The burqa or the niqab, or the veiling, that is the denial of women, denial of sex. Exactly. That is a coffin. That's an enclosure. Our capacity to distinguish and understand is then taken away. But I'm talking about a woman who is not completely nude, who does what she does, the manner in which she dresses, the manner in which she reveals herself. This itself is a play. I mean, we, we observe sure. that... That's play- why men like high heels. They like, yeah. uh, you know, stockings nylon stockings have, like been, that, yeah. have been... They were among the the contraband of World War yeah. II, along with cigarettes and, yeah. and a few of the other, you know... <laughs> yeah, but the point was that... The Playboy was not simply the centerfold. No, Playboy no. was the art of seduction. Mm-hmm. It was jazz it was music. Package, yeah. It was wine. It was, it was the development of the connoisseur of beauty, I would put it. I would go back to the famous lines of John Keats. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. And a thing of beauty is a joy forever is not simply objectification of woman. It is a fact that the woman is a joy forever is a celebration, but it is all part of a context, of a framing, of a setting up, you know. You use the word connoisseur, and I I have to agree with you, and that's even reflected in the advertisements that you would find in Playboy. They were from luxurious items, expensive cars and liquors and and the such, and jewelry. And what he was trying to impress upon people was there is a sophistication that one can a rise to, <laughs> pardon the pun, one can <laughs> aspire to, and not just with um, the female form, but in all aspects of, of lifestyle. Right. I just want to cite here what has happened is, is where the pendulum has been swinging with the feminist movement on the other extreme, and Pagli is so uh, fascinating in how she expresses herself. This is from her Playboy interview uh, in 1995, and she said, the problem with America is that there is too little sex, not too much. The more our instincts are repressed, the more we need sex, pornography, and all that. The problem is that feminists have taken over with their attempts 
to inhibit sex. And that's what we are now seeing. We are seeing anything that is playful, anything that is flirtatious, anything that is friendly and appreciated is now being addressed as you are engaged in sexual harassment. You know, and we are now seeing what has happened. This men are now the endangered species. Uh, what you have seen with Bill O'Reilly, with a whole host of other people, Harvey Weinstein, who who have been, you know, Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby, <laughs> yeah, yanked out of their position because somebody charged them for sexual harassment. So, too, you might say too much sex, that's what the feminists say, has led to the opposite side. We're back to the puritanical age. We're back to an age which, ironically, sex is like a bouquet of flowers to be put away behind a mirror or behind glass on a shelf, but you cannot approach it. You cannot talk. You cannot touch. You cannot engage because that would then be, you would be a sexual predator. It's interesting that this new wave of feminism, if we can call it that, yeah. is to destroy the first few waves of feminism. Exactly. Well, Salim, our hour has gone. Thank you again for joining us, Salim. And you can join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. <laughs> Ever since my picture appeared in the church journal, my parishioners have referred to me as the prey boy of the month. 